Dharma Bites is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for real life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, come and join us at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash community. Thank you and happy listening. So, what have I gained? I want to focus mainly on things about sadhana, but uh, certainly over over the years of learning, I've learned quite a lot of things which are now coming into the order quite a bit anyway. So, for instance, I've worked quite a lot with what are called the four reminders, which are now fairly commonly known in the order, just reflections which are designed to motivate you to practice the whole the whole Buddhist path. So reflecting on the preciousness of human life, just what a fantastic opportunity it is. But then also, it's impermanent, it's going to go. And to make the best use of it, you have to build positive karma. And also that the, the whole of samsara is unsatisfactory, even if you produce extremely positive karma and end up in the best of samsara, still that's not that's not good enough. It's only the the path to enlightenment that is going to be satisfying. I sometimes think that we could make I've I've appreciated a lot gaining a deeper appreciation of karma from Tibetan Buddhism. I think we've we we very much play down karma certainly up until recently, up until Nagapriya's book was published. We've not made much of, of the law of karma, and maybe there's good reasons for that. Maybe it doesn't play well in the West, as it were. But I sometimes think, if I really took on the law of karma deeply enough, my whole behavior would completely change. And if I really believed in the law of karma, well, I'd be handing out £10 notes like anything, because it was all going to you know, be down to my good. You know? and so I, don't, I, don't, I still think I could, I could reflect a lot more and think much more in terms of karma than I currently do. There are also, I think, in Tibetan Buddhism, a lot of methods of developing bodhicitta, which are extremely valuable. And again, some of those are coming into the order. So, uh, lojong mind training, such as the the eight verses of Geshe Langri Pangpa and the seven verse mind training. I think that Tibetan Buddhism is very rich in uh, methods, practical methods for developing bodhicitta. I've also gained a lot, I suppose, just from watching in action people who have, from their mother's knee, been brought up with a deep faith in the Dharma. I think one of the things about Tibetan Buddhism is that it's it's still very alive with with faith in the Dharma and tremendous devotion. There's devotion to well to to anything which reminds you of the Dharma. You know, sort of like having been around Tibetan groups, I kind of watch you know, my my Western Buddhist friends sometimes just sort of tossing Dharma books around or leaving them on the floor of their bedroom. And and uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, you do not do that because. Uh, a Dharma book is it's sacred, it's, it's valuable, it's, it contains in it you know, teachings about how you can put an end to suffering forever. It contains teachings about the path to liberation and how you can help other people on the path to liberation. So they treat Dharma books with great kind of care and reverence. And I must say, personally, I appreciate that a lot. There's also, oh, just tremendous faith and devotion to uh, teachers and gratitude to teachers uh, Daya Brimpache, my friend in Germany, there are times when he talks about his main teacher, Trijang Rinpoche, who died quite a number of years ago now, who was 
one of the Dalai Lama's tutors and was perhaps the main teacher for his sort of generation. Dalai Rinpoche, just starting to talk about him, often there were just tears start to sort of run down his cheeks. And I remember once going somewhere where Dalai Rinpoche was talking about how he'd been doing, he, Dalai Rinpoche, had been doing some tantric initiations in Tibet. He'd managed to go back to Tibet for a while. And he was giving them to quite a number of people who'd known Trijang Rinpoche. And these people said to Dalai Rinpoche, you remind us of Trijang Rinpoche, how you, how you perform that ritual. And Dalai Rinpoche, sort of trying to recount this story, was just in floods of tears that anyone could begin to think that in any way, you know, he, how he did this ritual was reminiscent of his teacher, Trijang Rinpoche. It was, just, it was very, very beautiful to watch, very, very moving. Dalai Rinpoche was discovered as a talker at the age of about four and uh, taken off to the, the monastery. And his teachers, when he was young, had this very much sort of spare the rod and spoil the child attitude. So he used to get whipped every couple of days, you know, not for doing anything at all, just on general principles that it would be good, you know, sort of keep a young tulku on the, on the straight and narrow. And he, he suffered awfully, actually. I mean, he's listening to his story. It sounds like a, a tale of awful abuse. You know, he would have been taken into, a, into care, you know, in any kind of Western society. But again, he talks about you know, these early teachers without any rancor, with great sort of appreciation and uh, says, well, you know, they, they, had a really, they were really doing their best. And, but at the same time, Dyer son was recognized as a tulku, and Dyer wouldn't let his son be taken off to the monastery, which given that he's on the next one down from the Dalai Lama, and this is his eminence, Dyer Rinpoche, and very, very important in the Gelug hierarchy, the fact that he refused to do that was quite a statement, really. So yes, anyway, there's, there's a tremendous amount of sort of faith that just imbues that whole culture that I really appreciate. I also appreciate the fact that it's a rounded tradition. It's been going for hundreds of years. Oh, thousands, yeah. And uh, I get some sense of what, what the order you know, could be like over time. It's like within, say, that, that Gilad tradition that I've had most connection with. You get people who've been practicing the Dharma for 60 years, 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, 20 years. So you get a whole range of people with all a whole different ranges of experience, and uh, people sort of young. I've met some young tulkus who were like twenty-two, who again have already been studying since they were seven. And you ask them about the dharma, and they say, "Well, I'm just a young man. I've you know I've not got anywhere yet with my studies. You know, perhaps in ten years I might be able to say something." There's something quite nice about a tradition which has the resources. <laughs> to just let people keep training and training. I sometimes think we, you know, we throw young order members and even mitras you know, into the fray to start teaching you know, very, very quickly. We hope you enjoyed the talk. Please come and help us keep this free at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash community. And thank you.